Let's get in then to the Word together. We're going to just journey for the next uh, 20 minutes or so, 25 minutes. And I do hope and pray that, that we hear that thrust of, of what Linda has shared as well, that for God loved the world. He did it in, in this way. He sent his one and only son. He loved the world. We talked about that the past number of weeks, that even if you're not yet part of the family of God, John chapter 1, if you haven't said yes to Jesus and laid down your life because he laid down his um, for him, if you haven't taken that step yet, are you still loved? There is still love there because God loved the world enough to send Jesus to make a way for us to step over that threshold and come into the family of God. For all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be called children of God. So there is a step required, but is there love in this place before you step? Absolutely. And we're going to see that this morning, I think, in, in a way that I have never seen it, and I'm excited. So let's go. Father, help us as we open the word and help us as we journey through a little bit of history. Who loves history? Put your hand up. Who doesn't, let's be honest, doesn't love history? Put your hand up. So listen, for those of us that, that aren't motivated by history, Father, I pray that you would help us to get through this uh, and, and draw nuggets. But as we get to uh, oh, the really good bit, Father, bring us to it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, here we go. So a bit of background. We are entering the time of the prophets. Everyone say, ooh, I know. It's very exciting. It's one of those bits of the Bible where you're like, I have no idea where Jonah fit according to uh, Amos and Micah. And I'm like, where do they all go together? And it actually happens over a, a, quite a short period of time in world history, believe it or not. But, um, but we're going to hopefully knit this together as we go over the coming weeks and months. We're going to start to piece together how they all connect and how they relate to where we've been. We've touched on it the past weeks. This is a time of great turmoil. Andy's seen great turmoil in the nations. I think we see that all around us. Nothing has changed. The world is, bro the world is broken. Beautiful, yes, in many regards, but totally broken. And we see that. We turn on the TV, we see that. In this day, we're going back to the 8th century, roughly, BC. In this day, we have examples of that. We have turmoil in Israel and in Judah. There's been a split between uh, God's people. We have Israel and Judah. We have kings rising and falling. And more often than not, the kings that come into power and prominence, what did we say a number of weeks ago? When you get a position of power, it often amplifies what's already in you. So if you are, if you've got certain strengths, a position of power will amplify your strengths or amplify the platform for you to demonstrate your strength. But if you've got weaknesses and you are in a position of power, the weaknesses come to the fore as well. And we've seen that time and time again in, in the history of God's people. Uh, we touched on it with Second Chronicles 15 a few uh, weeks ago. And we revisited it uh, a little bit last week as well. That there was this moment where King Asa is put in place and there's an incredible revival. And they, they talked, touched on all the different points of, of what happened. Where are my, my notes? Is this last week's notes? I don't have my, my four, was it four R's? Repent, return, or resurrender. It wasn't even four R's, it was a various range of letters, which doesn't help me at all right now. Um, 
Return to God, resurrender to God. It was ours. Rise up in faith and then raise up a generation. And, so, and I said to us, where are we? Are we at the point where we're kind of returning and resurrendering? Or are we at the point where we're rising up in faith? Or are we at the point where we are, ra we're, we are raising up others because we are, ourselves have risen up? So what we see is that the people did all of those things under King Asa at the time. And verse 15 of Second Chronicles 15, we won't turn to it, but just to remind you, God gave them what they desperately wanted. Not a jacuzzi, not a Ferrari, not a bungalow by the sea. Uh, anyone got all of those? No? Um, he gave them what they needed, and that was peace within and peace from out with. He gave them rest on every side. Every nation needs that. We think about the nations at the moment that are on their knees. What do they need? Rest on every side. How do we get it? We fall on our knees before the throne of heaven and we say, your will be done, not mine. So they returned. They rose up. But here's a question. Did they then raise up? Because that was why you kept on having kings come into power and then falling and then the nation collapsing and then somebody else years from then coming into power and it, this cycle, this pattern. Well, they did raise up a little bit. King Asa's son. And uh, is there a phrase jumping Jehoshaphat? What kind of context would you, I don't know why I heard this in my mind. What context would you use that? Would it be kind of an exclamation? Oh, jumping Jehoshaphat, yeah. So this is Judah's Jehoshaphat, and I just heard that in my mind. So let's not, if I planted that in your mind, I'm so sorry. Anyways. Judah's Jehoshaphat, there's five chapters dedicated to, uh, to him uh, beyond what we touched on a few weeks ago. Five chapters. He held firm to a great degree in, in God, but he made mistakes. Anyone made mistakes? I've got both hands up there, we all do. But what happened is that as the years went on, cracks began to appear in his commitment. Anyone ever been there where you've been going good guns for God and then cracks begin to appear and you start to struggle? Again, I've got two hands up and we fall short. And what happens is that the tension and the conflict that was in place, that God gave them peace on every side from, begins to reappear. And what happens in the world when conflict occurs between nations? What is the typical, well, one of two things, but let's say the typical solution for a nation that is operating by the world. What do they do? To try and reduce tension with their neighbors. What do they often do? Think about it historically. I know this maybe is a bit of a... They... They surrender something. Yeah, that's actually, so they might surrender fully, but actually that's a brilliant word for, for uh, what I had in my notes. A uh, better word, actually. They surrender something. They make alliances. They make an alliance. How can I have peace? Quite often they'll say, well, why don't, you know, in days gone by, you can marry my daughter and we'll build an alliance. Or we will enter into a partnership because of money. And we'll let that be our uniting factor. Alliances can be good and can be bad. What we, happen, what we have here is that alliances start to get entered into. And what happens is that 
the godly king, Judah's Jehoshaphat, let's keep going on from that, uh, he makes an alliance with the king of Israel who is not in a good place. So there's like a godless alliance and the rest on all sides is diminished. Let me go quickly because this is uh, history which is important for us just to get through this. And what happens is that they make an alliance to go to none other than Tarshish. They're going to send boats to Tarshish. And again, what's it motivated by? It's motivated by money, not motivated by God. And so what happens? A prophet rises up and says that because you've entered into that alliance, uh, you're going to experience God's judgment. All the boats are lost. They're shipwrecked. Again, little foreshadowing of what's to come with Jonah later. Um, and then the final evidence of Judah's refusal to rise up and then raise up, especially raise up, is Judah's Jehoshaphat's son, Jehoram. Judah's Jehoshaphat's Jehoram. My goodness, I'm quite proud of myself for getting that out. Judah's Jehoshaphat's Jehoram. Uh, Jehoram, he prioritizes a partnership with the world over God. He says, okay, I'm going to go for, what is, what is the world really longing for? Longs for uh, money, power, and some form of love. Those are the things. Now, is money bad? Not if it's used well and appropriately. Is, is, is a place of influence bad? Not if it's used well. Is love bad? No, it's a gift of God. But, but again, be careful how we use that. So he enters into uh, partnerships and then we get this period of, of, of turmoil. And what does God do? God just lifts his hands. If you want to go that way, you go that way. You get free will. We've all got free will. We can live however we choose to live. But Sometimes God will say, okay, you go that way. I'm taking my hand off. And I'm going to let you learn what it is to go that way. So there we go. Various kings rise and fall over the next century. And then we have Elijah and Elisha. We're going to skip over them. We'll come back to them in the future. They have had their day by Jonah's point. Uh, we're going to come back to them because it is good stuff. But... Um, what happens is that new kings take their place and they oversee what we would say is a prosperous season. Here's the thing. How do we define prosperity in a godly sense? Because there is prosperity that is a worldly sense. And what we see is that they enter into this time of it being very prosperous financially and in terms of military might and power, but they are far from God. And two kings tells us, 2 Kings 14 tells us this often repeated phrase of people. And we get to uh, Jehoram, we then get to Jeroboam. They all started with J. That's amazing. Um, he did what was evil in the Lord's sight. That's an often repeated phrase that we see. He repeated the sins of his, of his father. And so that's where we are. Let's move on then. The reason we're going to rest here this week and we're going to jump over Elijah and Elisha for now is because it ties into what we touched on last week and it's really beautiful to build on last week's truth. That God, I said last week, God is at work beyond us for our own good and for the good of others. Do you believe that? God is at work beyond us, for us, and for others. And here's the thing. He calls us to participate. So yeah, God is at work. John 16, the Holy Spirit is at work in our community, touching hearts. People that are beyond the church, touching hearts. 
highlighting aspects of their life that they must let go of. But, but doing it in a way where it's like, you let go of this thing, let me show you what you can have in its place. That's what God is. God isn't just let go of that and that and that and get on with your misery. That's not God. God is let go and let me give you this. And so God is at work beyond us for our good and the good of others. And we looked at that last week, how God showed his grace and his mercy on a people beyond his nation, his portion. And we likened that to our Pentecost. Yes, the Jews in the upper room had their moment, and we are part of them because we're grafted in. In Romans, it tells us we're grafted into the, the people of God. But not just that. We see further on in Acts that, that the, the wild Gentiles are touched by the power of God. The people who came to that room with Cornelius expecting food and got something else. They had an encounter with God, an amazing encounter with God. Fantastic. And it caused a massive struggle in the first century Jewish Israel because they had got it into their heads that they were the people and the Gentiles were not welcome unless they jumped through 45 prearranged hoops. What does Jesus come in and do? Jesus says, yeah, you have to make a decision, but you're choosing me, and I am worth it. And so here we are. It shouldn't have been a struggle for the first century Jews because we're going to see here there's a pattern. It shouldn't have been a struggle for them to cope with the Gentiles coming in if they had known their own history. And the question you ask then is, was their history taught? Have you ever been in a church where the, the minister or the teacher will not teach certain things to avoid any element of conflict or challenge? That's not what God asks us to be. He asks us to face things up and wrestle with them. I think what was happening in the first century was that they just weren't teaching that the Gentiles were always part of God's plan. I would argue that was probably what was going on because they didn't want it. And it's like, if we don't want it, we just won't teach it. And, and that's a problem. So we're going to get to Jonah. Here we go. The story of Jonah. We know the story of Jonah. We had the beautiful Naomi's fantastic reenactment there. Well done, Naomi. There's a star in there for sure. Um, so we know the story of Jonah. We're not going to go over that this morning. I want to just draw a couple of things from it for us to think about. Jonah, and there's a bit of papers there, but let me read it from the actual word. Jonah chapter 1, verse uh, 1 and 2. Again, we'll put up chapter 3, I think it is, Stuart, in a minute. So don't worry about putting up chapter 1 just now. Uh, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up. I don't know if he was lying down at the time, or he was sitting down, or this was just a sense of get on your feet or get ready. This is the Abraham, Abraham moment. Here's how it's better than Abraham, because it's get up, Go to the great city of Nineveh. It's better because he tells them where he's going. Poor Abraham had to get up and just start walking. <laughs> go to a place, I'll tell you. Well, he tells him, get up and go. It's, here's the thing, though. We touched on it with, with Naomi. This is the last place Jonah would have wanted to go. It's the last place that any Israelite would have wanted to go. Anyone got somewhere where you think, you know, I'm happy to go anywhere, God, 
but do not send me there. Anyone? Anyone? Yeah? Let's be honest. Well, this is, the, this is, this is it with bells on for, for Jonah and for any Israelite. This is why I think Abraham maybe had it better because he was like, I'm going to tell you all you need to know for now. Just start walking. But Jonah gets the full picture right at the start, and that is a problem for him. Nineveh, why is it a problem? Here's Nineveh, the capital city of one of Israel's fiercest enemies, the Assyrians. A people known for their barbaric cruelty, and we might say really proud of their barbaric cruelty. Uh, it's incredible what they've discovered. They've discovered in, uh, in, in archaeology, they've discovered uh, uh, artifacts from temples that they've excavated from the region that were in their temples, their worship temples to their various gods, and it depicted their torture methods in their temples. I mean, look around. That's not how you should come to celebrate and to, to champion your God is to say, look how we tortured other people. That was the heartbeat of who they were as a people. Barbaric cruelty. Nineveh, it says, was a very prosperous city, but it was full of idolatry, full of the worship of, of other gods. Let's go back again to the Tower of Babel, of Babel, and you have God dispersing the people, but pulling out his remnant, you are my portion. And we see in Deuteronomy 32, Psalm 106, I think it is, this idea that the rest of the nations were just handed over to uh, all of, the, all of the, the, um, the angels. The word tells us they were handed over to angels. So there was a, a supernatural authority given to the nations, but God drew out his portion. Was God always in control? Yes. But he handed people over to what they wanted. And, and the angels who had fallen, some of them, took on the responsibility. Nineveh was one example of that. The Assyrians were an example of that. They were worshipping entities that I believe were real entities. They weren't imaginary entities. They were worshipping real entities that let them do what they wanted to do. They're encouraged their way. And so what you have um, is this place called Nineveh. Nineveh, incidentally, founded by none other than Nimrod. Who's mentioned at the Tower of Babel? Nimrod. So this is a really ancient city. And so because all this is happening on a supernatural level, spiritual level, there's no wonder that, you wonder why, why is it always Israel that is almost wiped out but not quite? Look at history. Which one nation has been attacked uh, more than any other, we could argue? Israel. Why? Because God took them as his portion, and the rest of the nations, empowered by supernatural entities, are trying to destroy God, God's plan and his people. So let's get to this moment with Jonah. Here we have this incredible moment. These people are the one place that you would not want to go to. And what do we see with Jonah? He turns tail and he runs. And I think, you know, actually, I get it. I get it. He was panicking. Why would I go to that place where they've torn apart, literally torn apart? They used to impale 
their, their captives on sticks. Jonah knows this. Jonah's like, why would I go there? Jonah turns and runs. He turns tail in the opposite direction. And we said, has anyone ever done that? And we put our hands up. And yet God has spoken. And so Jonah has chosen the wrong, uh, the wrong option. We said, if God is everywhere, what's the point in running? It's so true. Let me just rest here, though, as we close. Just to this one little nugget. We're going to look at Jonah um, chapter uh, 3 uh, to close. But it's, uh, let me just touch on this. We saw last week that God's heart is always for the nations. It always was for the nations. Yes, he took out a portion for a period of time from Babel. Um, so to create a living, breathing example of what it looks like to live under his leading and guiding and also under his judgment. But God's heart was always for the nations and God's heart is always to use his own people to the people that are not his people. God's at work beyond his own, yes, but he's also at work within his own, challenging them to go out beyond their own. I couldn't say that again if I tried, but you get me. He's working through us to take us beyond ourselves to those that are beyond the church. Here's the question, why? Linda shared that because he loves the world. What motivated God to send Jonah to the one people who had impaled Jonah's people and slaughtered them? What motivated God to do that? It was love. Now, what was Jonah bringing into that space? He's bringing a warning. He's saying, listen, if you don't turn and embrace God, you're done for. And you think, well, come on, Stuart. 20, is it 21st century? Help me in. 21st century? 21st century, Stuart. The world we're in now, everyone should just believe what they want. But if, if there is one God that is the only one worthy of worship, and nothing's changed since Jonah, Jonah's been asked to go in and say, turn from all of this and turn to him. You think, come on, Stuart, that's just so narrow-minded, so old-fashioned. If there's only one God worthy of worship, and it's the only logical and fair and true and right thing to do, but here's the thing, you might think the idea of God punishing them because they've chosen a different path. I see it differently now more than ever. I see the love of God motivating him to send someone to bring them back from the brink of destruction. Chapter 3, Stuart, if you wouldn't mind putting it up, let's just read a few verses before we finish. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. Jonah is like, oh. He got up and he went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. We say, well done, Jonah. He was still grudging at this moment, but he got up and did it. Anyone ever got up and did things for God grudgingly? Let's never underestimate what God can do in that moment, even though we are not doing what we should. Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. There was that three days to walk round it, through it, 
or to it, we don't know. But it was big. The people, so Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. That's all he apparently said. So walking through it, saying the same thing. He's not really telling them much. Where is the hope that Jonah is offering? The hope is in the fact that there's something coming and I'm warning you about it because God loves you enough to send me here. I love that. I love that. What do they do? Do they say, Jonah, you're a Jew, you're an Israelite. We're going to impale you. Because that's what's, that's what's happened time and time again over the generations. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk, proclaimed in 40 days, Nineveh, Nineveh will be demolished. Verse 5, the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. And they basically fell on their knees and said, right, this is the God. We've been doing it our way. We better start doing it his. And here's the thing. Did Jonah do this? No. He partnered with what God was already doing. And I want to encourage us as we leave and as we close this morning. Jonah has a reluctant message. What we see is that God has been doing something, I, I believe, before Jonah got there, to soften hearts. Have you ever had your heart softened over time to just be more willing to hear something about Jesus? We've all been there. That's how we've crossed that line to say, okay, I don't get it all, Jesus, but I get enough to know that you are the way, the truth, and the life. That what you're offering me is greater than what I can pursue myself. It's much better than what the world can give me. I've tasted that and it's fallen short. God, I need you. Where is your Nineveh? Where is your Nineveh? We've talked a lot about where is your orchard? Your orchard maybe is your Nineveh. Maybe the idea of stepping out and sharing a little bit of Jesus makes you think, they're going to impale me. Maybe you feel that. They won't impale you, but maybe you feel that way. Where is your Nineveh? I want to encourage you. God is at work there already. And he's sending us out. Let's just have the courage to just take a step. Amen.